Welcome to Matey Trek. I'm Michael Clark. I'm Cena Alvarado. I'm Captain Hot Dog. And welcome to Matey Trek, where we get a bit tired of doing Enterprise and we decide to do something different. That's right. And so we decided that we were going to review an episode of Doctor Who. We've never done an episode of Doctor Who on Matey Trek. No, it's great to do something different. Yeah, I don't care what Wayne says. We can do whatever we want. Wayne who? <laughs> exactly. Isn't he? Oh, he does Treknababble, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, that's right. I think he's the, the one they call the tea lady. Oh, excellent. Oh, Gray, hot. <laughs> <laughs> so what episode are we going to do today, guys? We are going to do the introduction to Series 5, or Season 5, as real people say it. We're going to do The 11th Hour. This is the premiere for Matt Smith and the premiere for The Greatest Companion of All Time. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not exaggerate too much there, Dave. Okay, so Dave, you are in love with Amelia Pond, and Michael, you can't be fussed about her, right? I can't stand Amy Pond. The character's okay, but I was so glad when she left. Ah, listen now, first of all, I am not in love with Amelia Pond. Amelia Pond is the eight-year-old child, and I am by no means a pedophile. (laughs) I like Amy Pond, and she is clearly legal. Barely. She's 19. She's got a police uniform. It was either that or the French maid outfit. Yeah. Would you have preferred the French maid outfit? Or the nurse. (laughs) So we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because I don't know very much about Doctor Who. So you're just going to have to put up with me and asking kind of potentially goofy questions about Doctor Who. This is pretty much what Cena tells us at the beginning of every show before we start recording anyway. Oh, so it's just a normal week. Shush, both of you. Just, just a normal work day for us. Hooligans. Okay, so why don't you like Amy Pond, Michael? I just think, I, don't, I can't pin it down. I, I just felt in some ways the with Amy Pond it became like a soap opera with her story and with her numpty boyfriend, Rory, who always dies, who makes Harry Kim look like a genius. And it, I don't know. I just, there were some stories that were quite good. And then there's others. It just felt, Oh, will you just please die or leave or something? And I just don't think she was a great companion for the doctor. And we've only seen two episodes with Clara. Now the new companion, And already I can tell she's going to be 10 times better. And if you really want a good Doctor Who companion, you need to go back to Rose. You need to go back to Sarah Jane Smith. That's what you call a really good Doctor Who companion. And I just don't feel, for me personally, Amy was that sort of character. Wow. Are you even a fan of Doctor Who, Mike? Oh, I've been a fan since, well, since six, seven years old. And we, we have this thing over they here. Didn't have my, they didn't have Doctor Who back then. Oh, they did, Dave. Dave Was Doctor it a radio Who, show? Dave, Doctor Who, Doctor Who is 50 years old in November, Dave. Oh, wow. I know, I know you mentioned season five, Dave, and obviously we're up to season seven now. But in fact, it's actually season 34. Yeah, but that's British. And that started on the 23rd of November 1963 was the first ever Doctor Who story. And we've had 11 Doctors, including Matt Smith. That's amazing. I do have to point out that if it doesn't happen in America, Jesus doesn't know about it. (laughs) 
Okay, so give me the Doctor Who 101 because I've watched exactly five, maybe six episodes of Doctor Who. And so I really don't know very much about it other than we have this doctor who's a Time Lord who can travel through time and space in his TARDIS. And apparently he can't get anywhere on time based on the episodes I've watched. And he has a companion, and the companions either leave or change or die or something. And the Doctor regenerates. What the heck is that about? Well, let's take them one at a time, and let's talk about the companion, because I think the companion is the most important character within the story, because the companion is are our eyes. We, we see the adventure through the companion's eyes, I think, and they're getting all this wonder by travelling with the Doctor, and obviously the fear... And the intrepidation of traveling with the doctor. So it's really important that you have a strong companion. And over the years, they have got stronger and stronger and stronger. And as I mentioned, Sarah Jane Smith, she started with the third doctor, which was John Pertry. And her character developed and she became strong. And it wasn't really until we got to Rose that companions got really independent and they were written more as in it, as they should be. Because normally, comp- yeah, modern, thank you. And Often the companions were, you'd see a Dalek or a Cyberman or something like that, and it it would be all screaming. Oh, so Uh, basically it would be like Constance Goodhart in Captain Proton. Exactly. And, 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 you know, that might be a bit harsh on some of the companions, but there have been times where that's happened. And normally it's nine times out of ten there's always a female companion, though there have been times when there's been more than one companion there's been a few guys as well. So I think the companion's really important because we do see the story through their eyes. Yeah, they're kind of the original uh, Mary Sue character. Hmm. You know, they're, they're supposed to be us. This is how Wesley should have been. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned regeneration. Well, basically, when the Doctor is about to die, instead of dying, his body regenerates. And from the start of the series back in 63, the Doctor was quite an old man and he's regenerated and he's got younger each time. And yeah. And (laughs) as I said, for the female viewing audience. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, this is pretty much describes all of Cena's husbands. (laughs) (laughs) All five of them, right? (laughs) You don't want to know how old my current husband is. (laughs) <laughs> 21 maybe so, <laughs> so yeah regeneration and over here in the uk it was always when we found out that the doctor was le- or the actor who was playing the doctor was leaving there'd always be this oh who how's he going to regenerate and who's going to be the new doctor and you'd also go through post regeneration where always the first few episodes after he would suffer from something, you know, like a, not sickness, but post regeneration blues, so to speak. And he'd have to recover from that. And so that was really good. And something else, when Doctor Who first aired in the UK, they used to be every week and they are only 25 minutes. And some stories were actually six, seven parts. So you'd get a whole story over six weeks. And some of the earlier Doctor Who stories were actually 13-part stories. But when it was came back in 2005, they put it down to 45 minutes. So you'd get a whole story within 45 minutes. So the format slightly changed so you could tell more of a story. But regenerations are really important because it just keeps the character going, but you have a slightly different Doctor. 
Okay, so I know that from what you've told me that your favorite Michael is David Tennant, right? Yeah, D- David Tennant is my favorite. Again, something over in the UK and is we all grew up with a different doctor and, and a lot of people like say, oh, who was your doctor? And when I was growing up, my doctor was the fifth doctor and that was Peter Davison. And he had, re- he had regenerated from Tom Baker. And I remember Tom Baker because he had the long scarf. And I remember his clearly when he fell from this tower and he his body died and he regenerated in Peter Davison. So he was my doctor when I was growing up. But again, with the new series, David Tennant is just amazing as the doctor. He had a real darkness about him and a, and a real loneliness as well. Dave, who's your favorite doctor? You know, I think we really like Matt Smith so far. And Chris Eccleston is really good, too. I like David... I didn't get into Doctor Who until this latest incarnation of the series. But this uh, David Tennant, he he was a good doctor. I thought, man, he just he was so intense at the end. Everything was, you know, a, a big ordeal. I mean, he just it was a everything was a big scene. So, I've gotten more into this this zanier, lighter, happy Matt Smith character. Yeah, it, it did get quite dark the last few few specials for David Tennant. Um, and again, when the series came back in 2005, they changed a few, well, didn't change a few things, but they moved the story on a bit. Because in, in the previous incarnations, you would often see the Doctor go back to his home planet of Gallifrey and see his fellow Time Lords. And when the new series launched, we found out quite quickly there had been a Time War that the Time Lords had lost uh, well, they hadn't lost. They had actually been wiped out, or from what we knew, all the Time Lords were gone, and he was the last Time Lord. And they had moved the story on quite a bit from there. Okay. Sorry, I had a hot wing in my hand. I couldn't hit the <laughs> unmute button. So Sundays are your hot wing days, right? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Hot wings in NASCAR. Oh, that explains everything. <laughs> well, shall we crack on then? That sounds jolly good. Oh, dear. Geronimo, as the doctor likes to say, or this doctor likes Which to one? say. Which one? Okay, thank you. Matt Smith. Matt Smith. What did Chris Eccleston used to say? Do you know, I, I can't remember if he had a catchphrase. Um, David Tennant's was Allons-y. Mm-hmm. Of course. And... Has to be all Frenchy-fied. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure. It was Rose, get over here. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think he did have one, really. Well, as I watch them, I'll let you know. Well, what do you say we start this episode of Doctor Who? It sounds good. And the story starts where the Doctor has just regenerated. And as a result of his regeneration, the TARDIS is on fire and it's crashing towards the Earth. And then we see the Doctor actually trying to put out the fire on the TARDIS. But he's not having a good time, is he? No, this thing seems to be out of control. We learned, I mean, you know, we Americans learned since we didn't have 150 years of Doctor Who (laughs) that typically the TARDIS changes every time the Doctor regenerates as well. It seems that it'll rebuild on the inside. But this, this, I wasn't sure if this was part of the regeneration is why the TARDIS was going out of control or what had happened. Oh, no. um, I have a question. How did the previous season with with David Tennant leave it? Was he also out of control in the TARDIS when he died or yeah he, what had happened was to sum up um what had happened before the doctor had just actually saved the earth from the time lords who had come back and yet again the doctor had to exile the time lords so they're not exactly dead 
they're gone and he had to save someone um, a very good friend of his Wilf and he had to absorb all this radiation and he's and he was his body couldn't take it and he managed to get to the TARDIS in time after he basically said goodbye to all his friends with his last ounces of strength he went back through time and he saw all his friends and then he got into the, the TARDIS and his last words were I don't want to go and his arms are outstretched and suddenly his hands start to glow and his face starts to glow and his head goes back and he sort of regenerates and he and he's all glowing and his face changes and for some reason this was quite a fierce regeneration and we think well becky and i think it's because he was fighting the regeneration he didn't want to regenerate and as such the tardis starts catching fire and things start to explode and this is actually the first time the tardis has actually regenerated as well we've actually seen that happen okay um, so i'm sorry did david tennant leave because he wanted to leave as as an actor or did they just kind of say okay it's time for you to go we're going to bring in somebody new oh no he actually wanted to leave he this was he he did four series and he also did a few specials and he just felt it was time to move on. He felt that if he stayed anymore, he'd never leave. Okay. Because he loved it so much. And there's actually only been two doctors. Well, one's been fired and one they decided not to do any more with. So a bit of trivia there for you. But yeah, so basically his doctor has regenerated. The TARDIS is exploding and it's crashing towards Earth. And that's exactly where the end of David Tennant's episode ends. And Matt Smith's begin, the 11th hour begins. See, now, I was told that it was, he had gotten a, ro- a call from Rose claiming she was pregnant, and then <laughs> that's when he, he jumped out of the TARDIS while it was in mid-flight. <laughs> that's that's what I had heard. Maybe that was the American edition. Oh, Probably. Probably. So, there you go. So, yeah, he's crashing, he's heading towards Big Ben, and we get the opening credits, and that actually leads us into our first clip. Can I have an apple? All I can think about. Apples. I love apples. Maybe I'm having a craving. That's new, never had cravings before. Whoa! Look at that. Are you okay? Just had a fall. All the way down there, right to the library. Hell of a climb back up. You're soaking wet. I was in the swimming pool. You said you're in the library. So is the swimming pool. Are you a policeman? Why? Did you call a policeman? Did you come about the crack of my wall? What crack? Ah, ah, ah. You all right, mister? No, I'm fine. It's okay. This is all perfectly normal. <laughs> Who are you? I don't know yet. I'm still cooking. Does it scare you? No, it just looks a bit weird. Uh, no, 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 the crack in your wall. Does it scare you? Yes. Well then, no time to lose. I'm the doctor. Do everything I tell you, don't ask stupid questions, and don't wander off. You all right? Early days. 
Steering's a bit off. All right. Now, as a parent, I have to be the first one to point out, do they not do the Don't Talk to Strangers campaign over in Great Britain? Oh, oh we do. We do. This was just a plot device. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, I mean, this was 1996. Maybe, you know, they were a little bit behind the times back then. <laughs> Oh no no! I I was around and, and, in and where was where, where was the child protective services? I mean, the aunt left Amelia all by herself, and she's seven years old. Well, we can't give spoilers away, but as the series progresses, especially towards the end of the season, you realise exactly what's going on with Amelia and why there's no parents or family there, or why there doesn't appear to be any family or parents there. Oh, they've been eaten by the <laughs> prisoner zero, right? We haven't no. gotten to Prisoner Zero yet. I They've know. Been eaten by the Slavine. The what? <laughs> the Slavine. They're big, green, and fart a lot. Texans. Oh, oh, but Texans. I thought. That... <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Dave. <laughs> Howdy, y'all! We're the Texas of Britain. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. So, what did you think about Amelia's first meeting with the Doctor? I, th- I thought it was really good. I-, I think the young actress who played Amelia, who's actually related to Karen Gillian. Gilly- Gillian? Gillian? Yeah, no, Gillian. 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 Yeah. Young Amelia, who's actually her, she's actually related to Karen Gillian. You don't um, have to repeat yourself. I'm not going to cut it out. I'm going to just oh, okay. draw. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm definitely not listening to this afterwards then. <laughs> So I thought I thought she played really well. She she you know it's a great scene and it's also the Doctor's first scene. This is the yeah. new Doctor. This is our first look at the new Doctor. Well, you kind of saw him hanging off the the edge of the TARDIS and trying not to get his privates impaled by Big Ben. So you saw him there. Oh, sorry, I meant as in uh, his character, as in him talking. The only things we'd heard when he regenerated was um, Geronimo as the TARDIS is crashing towards the Earth. Here we, you know, first thing is, oh, do you have an apple? So again, something different. Why? So yeah, I, I thought it was. Each doctor has their own personality. Face, yeah, we're yeah. we're getting a clip or a look into his personality right off the bat. Yeah, and he's that he's a lighthearted, oddball kind of guy climbing up the out the side of the TARDIS, sees this little kid, and I thought it was yeah. Again, I'm a parent. Why is he so concerned whether or not she's called the police? Well, maybe he doesn't want to be accused as a pedophile. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> well, there no, might be a reason for praying, that. She was praying for a policeman, wasn't she, to Santa. She was asking Santa, can you please send a policeman? And then all of a sudden, this police box lands in her garden. That's right. And that scene where she is praying, and I didn't catch on at first, it was Santa she was praying to. That was absolutely adorable. Whoever that little actress yeah. is, she's just she's got the cutest, roundest little head. She's just absolutely adorable. Not only she's like, I'm sorry to wake you, Santa. I know it's Easter, and <laughs> when you see the outside of her house, not only does it look, you know, it's a rundown house, and, and the lawn is taken over. There's actually jack o' lanterns outside as well that <laughs> apparently have been sitting out all year. So she's praying to Santa around Easter time even though she's got carved pumpkins sitting out on her porch. And, yeah, I thought that that girl was just absolutely adorable. Although, 
and I reinforce this to children out there, never let strange Englishmen into your house. <laughs> I would say never let strange Daves into your house. <laughs> <laughs> if you can find a regular one, go ahead. Or Mr. Neelix, because we've all heard about him. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> After that, you have this scene where... Apparently, the doctor is not himself. I wouldn't know because I don't know. You're not yourself. (laughs) Because I'm not familiar with Doctor Who, but he's asking for very strange things. And Amelia, who is seven years old, now I have a nine-year-old and she can't cook anything. She maybe can go to the pantry and get get herself some cereal when she's hungry, but apparently this seven-year-old can cook bacon, cook sandwiches, cook a whole bunch of stuff, which he tries and then just spits out. That's actually quite funny that, you know, he ends up going like outside to spit out this food. I don't know that you actually cook a sandwich as much as it's just assembling (laughs) bread and meat, but, you know, we'll go with that. And then... Obviously, you don't ever cook grilled cheese sandwiches. <laughs> you have to grill them, you know, slap butter on them. He was put just them eating in bread and butter. He just, and he didn't he like that asked, either. Yeah, he just asked for bread and butter. And then I thought it was hilarious when he pointed out, he says to her, you're Scottish, fry something. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> oh, they're talking about deep fried Mars bars and things like that. Yeah, so apparently that is something that the the Scottish children are born with, that they know how to do those kind of things. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. And we also get his his favorite food, which is fish fingers and custard, and that's what he decides to have to eat. So he's feeling a lot better after that, because with the 10th Doctor, when he regenerated it from 9 to 10, he needed a cup of tea all the way through the episode. He had post-regeneration sickness, and it wasn't until near the end he actually had a cup of tea and he felt much better. And here it's fish fingers and custard. Have we tried it? Does anyone fancy fish fingers and custard? No. I have not tried it. And I had definitely not thought it was something where he was going to actually take the fish stick and dunk it into the custard. I thought it was he's eating fish sticks and then later on for dessert he's having custard, not actually combining the two. I might have to try it just to just to have a go. Fish fingers and custard. But that's quite a funny scene. It's really good. It is funny. And he's drinking the custard out of the bowl like that. He's got a little custard stash. <laughs> and, and what's really good in this scene is that, yes, he, he's, he still wants something to eat and he's still not himself. But then he sort of snaps out of it and says to Amy, tell me about your the crack in the wall that she mentioned at the beginning. And that leads us into our second clip. Sounds good, your mum. I'll keep it for later. This wall is solid and the crack doesn't go all the way through it. So here's a thing. Where's the draft coming from? Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Do you know what the crack is? What? It's a crack. But I'll tell you something funny. If you knock this wall down, the crack would stay put because the crack isn't in the wall. Where is it then? Everywhere. Everything is a split in the skin of the world. Two parts of space and time that should never have touched. Pressed together. Right here in the wall of your bedroom. Sometimes, can you hear? The voice. 
Yes. Prisoner Zero. Prisoner Zero has escaped. That's what I heard. What does it mean? Prisoner Zero has escaped. It means that on the other side of this wall there's a prison. And they've lost a prisoner. And you know what that means? What? You need a better wall. The only way to close the breach is to open it all the way. Forces will invert and it'll snap itself shut. Or... What? You know when grown-ups tell you everything's going to be fine and you think they're probably lying to make you feel better? Yes. Everything's going to be fine. Did anybody else notice that when the once the crack in the wall is open, you see this giant eyeball of doom, you know, looking back and forth at them, that it, it shoots out like a sphere of energy? Did anybody see that when it... Yeah, it did. Okay. Yeah. Did anybody else notice that it hits him right in the crotch? <laughs> he doesn't make a noise. He falls down, but... I would be screaming and writhing in pain if I just got shot by a giant eyeball yeah. in the crotch. Maybe his genitals aren't in his crotch. You know, he is a Time Lord and he is alien. So he, he has two hearts. Yeah, that's true. Okay, well, I guess I didn't think of that. You got you got me with that one. And so then here, the TARDIS, is that the TARDIS starts sending off uh, an alarm and he's got to get back to the TARDIS even though he just has this giant alien eyeball looking at them through the through the wall saying prisoner zero has escaped so did that kind of give you a, a little bit of foreboding i mean i had no clue i was just like okay whatever prisoner zero but you are familiar with doctor who and were you thinking oh this is going to be some creepy type of alien that he has to deal with yeah, it was something different. We hadn't seen, I don't think we've seen anything like just a giant eye before in Doctor Who. So that was really good. And I just like the fact that before he could even start to solve the puzzle, he has to run off again. And and that was really good. But no, the eye itself was interesting. And that, that was something new. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew that was going to be attached to the, the monster of the week. I didn't think since this was going to be the first episode that, you know, the monster of the week was going to be a big mystery. Uh, I think everything was going to be focused on the new companion and the new doctor. So that that didn't that didn't surprise me much. But it did surprise me that all of a sudden, you know, he takes off right away back into the TARDIS cuz you weren't sure, you know, how is this little girl going to fit into the plot of the story? And then yeah. right away he's off back into the TARDIS. And and I think it's a really good scene that comes up where he tells her I'll be back in 5 minutes pack and she packs and it's a lovely piece of music in the background and little Amelia is all excited and she sits on the suitcase waiting for the doctor to reappear. That was, oh, she's so pitiful. I felt so bad. Very poignant because you knew exactly what was going to happen, that she was going to be stood up just like most women are by men, just stood up. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm moving right along. Um, So she's she's sitting there, and as they're going to the TARDIS, you know, he says, "Oh, I'll be right back." And she's like, oh. "You know that that's what everybody says." And he kind of catches on to that she's been left behind and has had these broken hearts from her parents, you know. And he's saying, "You know, I promise I'll be back, you know, five minutes." 
And when she is just sitting out there, she's got those rubber boots on and that winter coat and that winter hat. And she's sitting on top of the suitcase. That was just the only thing that would have made that sadder is if all of a sudden it had started raining. Yeah. Or snowing. So heartbreaking. Yeah. At least she had her wellies on. So that was quite good to keep her dry. Is that the coat? No, that's the the, the boots. boots. We we call them Wellington boots. Oh, oh, okay, okay. So culture trek. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what we do see though is that we hear the TARDIS in the background, the whining of the TARDIS as it reappears, and the Doctor runs back into the house shouting out Amelia. And again, he's still looking a state. He's all scruffy. Um, his clothes are ripped. And uh, he's looking around the house, and b- and before we know anything, he's actually hit with a cricket bat. What's a cricket yeah. bat? <laughs> um, yeah. A cricket bat is... No, no, no. no. She, she knows. She knows. It's that long paddle we use. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, I don't want to know about your sex life, okay? <laughs> Spoilers! <laughs> so, the doctor is knocked out and handcuffed to a radi- radiator, right? Yeah. And he wakes up and he tries to tell this young lady that they are in danger. Why are they in danger? And and the attacker, this cop, is calling (laughs) for backup, you know, on the radio. And, yeah, he's telling, you know, hey, listen, we have to get out of here. We're in danger. We're going to be attacked. There's something wrong here. And the cop is like, you know, what what are you doing here? Why are you here? That's when he starts asking about Amelia Pond, the little girl. He says, we got to find her and get out of here. And she's like, how do you know about Amelia Pond? And he says, you know, the little girl that lived here. And I like how the the cop turns around and says into the radio, she's asking about the Amelia Pond case. And that threw me off at first. I was like, oh, what happened to that poor little round-faced kid? (laughs) What did the evil monster do to her? And And then he's like, you know, you need to stop. And he says, look, you know, look out of the corner of your eye to see the sixth room. Yeah, because he says, how many rooms are on the floor? And she says five. And he says, no, there's six. And it's really good, isn't it, how the camera pans around her eye as she looks around. Yeah, the only thing is, is that both times in the past and in the present, you know, when they go up and down the stairs, the sixth room is always there. The door is always there. I thought it would have been... You know, a little interest, a little more interesting if at sometimes that doorway's not there and it's a plain wall. And then, you know, other times when they start to talk about it, then it shows up. So it's there the whole time. It makes it, you know, hard to believe that it was something they couldn't see. I didn't buy into that. Yeah, what I, did you think? I agree with you. But I, I do like the fact that both when the doctor is trying to find out or figure out what's going on and when he tells Amelia there's a close-up shot of them looking out of the corner of their eyes on both of them I thought that was particularly good especially because it starts the creepiness because Amy well we know it's Amy but this woman goes into this sixth room and it's really quite creepy and I'm surprised you didn't go hide under your bed Michael but I it, there's Aww. really well you don't like zombies <laughs> and you know you don't like the, the the creepiness stuff and it was it was hold very on. Hold <laughs> on. listen my man michael is as tough as nails all right <laughs> hard as a rock former soldier in the sas until <laughs> yes. he finds out there's zombies all right 
So yeah. we, we didn't. He didn't know there'd be zombies. So he was fine up until then. Isn't that right, <laughs> oh, Mike? Yeah, exactly. And, and then anyway, whenever I watch Doctor Who or Star Trek, I either have my sonic screwdriver or my phaser with me. So you know to protect me. Okay. And, and his teddy bear. And my teddy. Well, that's Becky. He he makes the cats watch it with him, right? <laughs> yeah. Guard cats. I could see you throwing a cat at the TV when something jumps out. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good Scottish impression there, Cena. <laughs> so there's this very tense-filled, creepy scene where this young woman is in the sixth room and she's looking out of the corner of her eye and he's just the doctor is just yelling at her yelling at her to get out of there and she is just ignoring him and you just want to say for the love of god just leave that room (laughs) and she finds the sonic screwdriver and it's all gooey and it's all got muck over it yeah he's like he's like it might have rolled down there and rolled underneath the door and she's like yeah yeah and uh Hopped right onto the table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you see Prisoner Zero come down and just scare the wits out of her. And he's like this big, long snake with these horrible teeth, very sharp, skewering teeth. I mean, I will have to say that that was, that was good CGI there. Much, much better than what it used to be in the 70s and 80s. It would have been someone dressed up as a snake. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say a red sock puppet. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was always the big joke, you know. Growing up, it's like if you want to see really great special effects, you'll watch something American like Star Trek. But if you don't care about effects at all, <laughs> then you watch Doctor Who. Oh, some of it was okay. Some of it was okay, like the Daleks and things like that. But no, yeah, you're right. Pepper shakers. Yeah. yeah. The- the plunger and the paint roller Daleks, is that what you're saying? Yeah. You will be exterminated. <laughs> I need That's that for Dalek. My Yeah, I need that for my ringtone. <laughs> okay. So... My grandmother here? You <laughs> <laughs> will be so... exterminated. Get off my lawn. Oh dear, moving on. Please, please. Very quickly. Amy manages to run out of the room and the doctor's trying to free himself using a sonic screwdriver, but the sonic screwdriver is not working properly. And suddenly a man and a dog appear from the sixth room. Right. And the man opens his mouth and starts growling like the dog. <laughs> so he can't quite get it together. That's actually prisoner zero there, but he's copying the human and the dog, but is not quite getting the vocal cords and words correctly. Yeah, he can, he can mimic the shape, but he since he doesn't really get to interact with humans, he doesn't know which, what voice belongs with which. And the, the cop, because I'm still leaving the illusion of mystery, is like, oh, it's just some man and a dog, you know? And the doctor's like, no, no, you know, that's, that's not what it appears to be. He's, he immediately, when he recognized what, what this uh, man and dog is, is that it's Prisoner Zero. He tells it, you know, well, you're not going to kill us because the officer here has called for backup. <laughs> and immediately the cop's like, I haven't called for backup. What do you mean you haven't called for backup? I haven't called for, there's no backup. I'm not a real cop. <laughs> and so he's like, well, that's why you're not going to kill us. Because she hasn't called for backup. And then... <laughs> That's when all of a sudden you hear the Atraxi arrive, the aliens, and they're like, Prisoner Zero has been sighted. Amy's there, the cop is like, what is that? He's all, oh, that's backup. 
and absolutely that is not why you're going to kill us. <laughs> or that's why you're not going to kill us. It's because there is backup. And that confusion allows him to escape. The sonic screwdriver finally works and he's able to free himself from the handcuffs and they manage to run. That's right. The classic Doctor Who tactic. Run! And, and that leads us quite nicely into clip number three. The human residents, the human residents will be incinerated. Kissagram. Yes, a kissagram. What's going on? Why'd you pretend to be a policewoman? They broke into my house. It was this or a French maid. What's going on? Tell me. Tell me. An alien convict is hiding in your spare room. This guy's as a man and a dog and some other aliens are about to incinerate your house. Any questions? Yes. Me too. No, 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 no! Don't do that. Not now. It's still rebuilding. Not letting us in. Resident Zero will take the human residence for the human residence will be incinerated. Wait, hang on, hang on, wait, 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 the shed! I destroyed that shed, last time I was here, it smashed it to pieces! So there's a new one, let's go! Yeah, but the new one's got old, it's ten years old at least! Twelve years, I'm not six months late, I'm twelve years late. He's coming. You said six months, why did you say six months? We've gotta go. This matters, this is important, why did you say six months? Well, why did you say five minutes? So we see that the cop, you know, reveals reveals herself to be that she is Amelia Pond. And the doctor is visibly shaken and stunned by this. He literally, he had just assumed that he was a few hours late. You know, that instead of night, he got there back in the morning and she had fallen asleep. He hadn't realized that all this time had passed. And it hadn't even occurred to him that this cop, this who it turns out not to be even a cop at all, turns out to be a, a kissogram. Which I didn't even I didn't even know that was a job. Singing telegram. Yeah, basically. Yeah, but and, and some can be nice and some can be quite hideous. Well. Does that mean you've had several singing telegrams and kissograms, Michael, sent yeah, to you? Uh, I, must admit, I must I must admit when I was twenty one for my twenty first birthday, which is a big thing over you know, your twenty first is quite a big thing over here. My my friends had a party for me and all my family were invited and they did get me a kissogram but in fact it was a um, more like a blobby gram it was this great big huge woman <laughs> and i had to sit on a chair in the center of this sort of hall and i and you know obviously at that age you're hoping it's going to be someone quite nice and and it was like jabba the hut <laughs> <laughs> And you know the scene in Star Wars where he he pulls Princess Leia towards him in in Return of the Jedi with the chain, and that yeah. great big tongue comes out. <laughs> it, it felt like that, but that's another story. All I can picture is Mike wearing that slave girl outfit, <laughs> wrestling with Jabba the Hutt. Let's put that up on the web. Zena, can you make that with Photoshop? Put that on the website. I want to no, see you know that. I'm sure Mike with a try. slave girl outfit. I'm sure going to try. If not, I'm going to get a little bit of help. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that English boy that does our website? Have him do it. Yes. Well, either the English one or the Scottish one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Note to self. <laughs> I'm glad there's no photo ever. Oh, I don't think there were any photos taken. Oh, I don't know, actually. So long ago. A long, long time ago. 
Yeah, your eyes would have been closed at the time. <laughs> or at least welled up with tears. <laughs> I think I was saying the last rites. <laughs> so moving right along, <laughs> we, we find ourselves after this scene with Amy and the doctor when he realizes he's been gone for 12 years that we're seeing a male nurse in a coma ward and he's getting in trouble with one of the doctors there a real medical doctor, not a Time Lord doctor, because he has said that he has heard these people who have been in a coma, which is impossible according to the doctor, and all of a sudden they start talking, which kind of freaks the doctor out. And the male nurse is also trying to say that he's seen the patients walk around outside and he even has pictures but the doctor refuses to listen to him and says that he needs to take time off and he needs to leave now. While I was watching this clip, I was like, man, I'm glad this is just a background character and we won't ever have to see him again. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought, to be honest. What's wrong with Rory? Oh. He has his moments, yeah. but I, I don't know what they were trying to do with him. They were trying to make a couple, like it was going to be a male and female companion, but... I think half the fans wanted Amy to be single and running around with the doctor, but then maybe the writers were like, no, we really want to do a couple. And they just couldn't make up their mind, and they had this wishy-washy little weenie English dude. Now, Dave, <laughs> you of all people <laughs> shouldn't be that, that uh, critical, you know, Mr. Hot Dog. <laughs> You have to understand, though. I mean, I'm I'm used to what you know an American couple where the man is the boss and he takes charge of every situation. Uh huh. With chicken wing sauce on his fingers and all over his face. Hey, this isn't a video show we're doing. Nobody has to see me right now. Basically, at this point, we have the Atraxi, and you can hear them on radios, on TVs, and they're basically saying that you have to hand over Prisoner Zero or the Earth will be incinerated. And the Doctor just doesn't know what to do at this point. And he has a bit of a confrontation with Amy, and he asks her to trust him. And, and that's really, a good scene. Yeah, I really like this scene because she still remembers. I mean, to him, it's just been literally just a few minutes. But she still remembers being that little girl, being little Amelia, and waiting for him, sitting on that suitcase, and then telling everybody she knew that she saw this doctor and, and this, this telephone booth that was a time ship that she saw disappear. And she doesn't trust him. And... He just says, just 20 minutes, 20 minutes. Well, last time you said it was five minutes, and look what happened. No, just 20 minutes. And I really like that scene because just the way he was talking to her made him convince her to trust him, even if it was just for 20 minutes. And that leads us quite nicely into click number four. Okay, that is size two poles, your basic molten core. Uh, they're going to need a 40% fission blast. But they'll have to power up first, won't they? So, assuming a medium-sized starship, that's 20 minutes. What do you think? 20 minutes? Yeah. 20 minutes. We've got 20 minutes. 20 minutes what? Are you the doctor? He is, isn't he? He's the doctor! The raggedy doctor! All those cartoons you did when you were little. The raggedy doctor! It's him! <laughs> Cartoons. Right. It's him, isn't it? 
really in. Jeff, shut up. 20 minutes to walk. The human residents, they're not talking about your house. They're talking about the planet. Somewhere up there, there's a spaceship. And it's going to incinerate the planet. Twenty minutes to the end of the world. So yeah, that was a great scene. I think at this point, we finally find that her friends, Amy's friends, realise that she isn't quite as unhinged as they thought she was and that the raggedy doctor does actually exist. Yeah, which is really nice. And this is a running joke with everybody that she and the doctor meet throughout the rest of the episode. Oh, so you're the doctor. <laughs> yeah, you're the raggedy doctor. And it's it's everybody like stares at the doctor and they're like looking at him for a little bit. You know, he's all disheveled from running around and or he's still yeah, he's still wearing the, the clothes from the TARDIS crash. And they're they're like, Something's familiar about this guy and here's a raggedy doctor. She's always in the background, you know, with her head down, like, Oh my gosh, shut up, shut up. Right. Then afterwards the doctor meets Rory. He goes back outside and he meets Rory and he there's this really good scene where he works out he goes up to Rory and basically just steals his cell phone and works out how prisoner zero moves about what prisoner zero has been doing is he's been taking the energy from all these people in the coma ward and using their likenesses to move around yeah and that's really clever and and I like the way that the doctor notices that cuz obviously you see the Atraxi in orbit and you see him scanning the town that Amy and the doctor are in and Rory is the only one who's not looking and that's how the doctor realizes there must be something on on the mobile phone yeah everybody that, else is taking pictures of the alien he's taking pictures of something else the man and, and the dog yeah. the man and the dog again so he confronts the the man and the dog which we know is prisoner zero and they kind of get in the he starts doing one of his famous monologues where he points out how he's going to save the day and how the Atraxi are scanning for alien technology. So he points his sonic screwdriver in the air and he's, you know, he's like, wow, sonic screwdriver doesn't get more alien than this. And he starts, you know, blowing up things around town, making elderly women in their scooters go wild and fire trucks start up and drive off. Lamp posts or, or the light bulbs are blowing in them. And then finally, all of a sudden, his sonic screwdriver ends up crapping out on him at the last minute. And then the Atraxi just leave. <laughs> and of course, the prisoner zero, the man and the dog just kind of smile and laugh. <laughs> and then they, they disappear down the drain pipe, don't they? They, they sort of not materialize. They just sort of drain away, so to speak. That kind yeah, of reminded me of changelings, actually, to be honest with you. <laughs> You're such a Star Trek nerd, Cena. I am very much a Star Trek nerd. <laughs> we're doing we're doing matey Trek. We're getting a chance to get away, take off the Starfleet uniforms, let our hair down, and get into something new. And you got to bring up Star Trek again. Well, you know, you're the one who's always out of your uniform. Well, that's hey. true. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's just how the ladies like me. 
<laughs> oh dear, moving right along. Yeah. So the doctor, even though I think he our, had... I think hold on a second, I think our listeners would take note at this point that nobody has disagreed. So <laughs> <laughs> carry on, carry on. <laughs> Was that some mustache twirling on your part and chortling? <laughs> I was twirling something. Oh, I'll do it quickly moving on. <laughs> At this point, we should say the doctor has a plan. Last week, you were wiggling. This week, you're twirling. Dare I say, were you twirling your baton? My sonic screwdriver. Oh, I just knew that was going to come. That's what she said. But it's not working. The sonic screwdriver is not working. And I've heard that before, too. As your wife is nodding her head in the background. (laughs) Hell yes. (laughs) So I think the doctor has a plan. (laughs) Did we lose Dave? I think we have. I'm ready to be back. I'm professional, ready to carry on. We're so professional. So the doctor has a plan. (laughs) And the doctor rushes back into the house where the old woman was. And he goes to Jeff and grabs his laptop and is quite shocked by what's on the laptop. And he starts a computer program and he starts talking to some of the world's best minds who are trying to find out what's going on, who are these Atraxi, etc. And he tells them about his plan. Hold on. Uh, Mike, I didn't understand. What was on the what was on the laptop, Mike? Oh, I'm not quite sure. We don't get to see it, but the doctor's quite surprised and he does tell him to delete his history. So I'm not quite sure. Oh, he tells him to get a girlfriend, too, doesn't he? You boys know exactly what was on the laptop. In fact, technical plans for the Enterprise D. That's exactly right. What that must have been. Technical plans for something. (laughs) How to plans for something. Part A fits into Part B. (laughs) Hold on, I'm writing this down. (laughs) Yes, because Dave needs instructions. You know, you don't have to tell them everything. <laughs> don't worry, Dave. We'll make sure you're fully functional. Who's we? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you volunteering, big guy, but... <laughs> Is it at the I'm not Welsh. So I just point that out. Oh, I don't have all the time with all the sheep anyway. I'm too busy. <laughs> Now, I did hear the doctor has a plan. <laughs> yes, he was... A plan? What's this you say about a plan? Every good Time Lord needs a plan. So he co-ops Amy's friend Jeff's laptop and deletes all the porn from there <laughs> and gets online with a whole bunch of people who are trying to figure out who the heck the Atraxi are, including Sir Patrick Moore. Yeah, who presented The Sky at Night, who unfortunately passed away last year, is one of the world's leading astronomers, or was, I should say. So that was quite funny to see him on there. I thought they said Roger Moore, and I'm like, I got the old James Bond guy? Well, that's awesome. No, no. It's only, only for you. Going along with our porn theme. So, yes, what... The doctor can I just pop. covered myself, so everybody knows. <laughs> Is this Cena doing the Red Shoes Diaries or something? Fifty Shades of Cena. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the plan. The doctor has a plan. <laughs> a plan, you say? 
Don't worry, <laughs> listeners, we're not in a temporal causality loop. <laughs> we will get there. So the plan involves Amy and Rory going to the hospital and to see what's going on there, uh, to look at the coma patients, and they actually run into Prisoner Zero. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, but I'm still back on the doctor's plan with what he's doing. He's oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, he's getting everybody to that he's talking to all these bright minds to upload a virus that is basically going to turn all the clocks everywhere to zero. Yeah. And after he does that, he gets on a fire engine, drives the fire engine, and drives to the hospital. And at this point, Amy and Rory have actually run into Prisoner Zero, but this time it's a woman with two little girls but, instead of the man and the dog. Right, but Prisoner Zero still gets it wrong because the woman's the woman speaks first, and then the little girl speaks, but it's in the woman's voice, and that's when they realize that that's Prisoner Zero. That, I thought that was actually quite well done. Yeah, that's quite was clever. Too. And this time, since it's not the the dog barking mixed up with you know coming out of the guy's mouth, you actually hear Prisoner Prisoner Zero talk for the first time, and it's quite creepy, you know, especially when it's the the mum and the two little girls, and she's like, oh, if I get the bit with the voices mixed up again so many mouths and then they do all three even the little girls open up and they have the crazy alien eel mouths yeah that was that was very creepy but very very well done and this is when the doctor arrives in the fire engine that he's uh, taken and he crashes through the window and confronts prisoner zero and this leads us quite nicely into our next clip Three minutes to go. There's still time. Time for what? Time, Lord. Take the disguise off. They'll find you in a heartbeat. Nobody dies. The Atraxi will kill me this time. If I am to die, let there be fire. <laughs> okay. You came to this world by opening a crack in space and time. Do it again. Just leave. I did not open the crack. Somebody did. The cracks in the skin of the universe don't you know where they came from? You don't, do you? The Doctor in the TARDIS doesn't know. Doesn't know, doesn't know. The universe is cracked. The Pandorica will open. Silence will fall. I really enjoyed this clip because this clip sets up basically the story for seasons five and six, pretty much. Um, because we find out about the silence. And the silence shall fall. Yeah, this is the first time we hear about him. Too bad the silence can't fall on Dave every once in a while. <laughs> I'll be in my dressing room. I'll lock you in. <laughs> yes, but if you could be on the outside this time and you do it. <laughs> my goodness. Dave, shh. Yeah. So did you like the... Spurs, come on now. <laughs> sides are still hurting. <laughs> did Cena ever cut her nails for you, Dave? Uh, so moving on, did you like the taunting that Prisoner Zero did? The Doctor doesn't know. The Doctor doesn't know. Yeah, I thought that was extra creepy, having little little kids' voices doing that. Very, very much a shining. Right, and then to make it even creepier, Prisoner Zero takes the Doctor's form, and he doesn't understand it at first, but it's really that the prisoner took Amelia's form, and she's holding on to the Doctor, so that's why you have both of them. 
Oh, and I thought that was such a great scene. He changes into the doctor. He changes into Matt Smith, you know, the shirt half tucked in, half tucked out. Just looks horrible. And Matt Smith's immediate reaction to looking at them is at him is, well, that's rubbish. Who's that supposed to be? <laughs> and where he's like, that's you. Really? You don't know what you look like? Well, it's been a busy day. <laughs> and and that's because he's actually still wearing the tenth doctor's clothes from the regeneration. So it's brilliant. Really funny scene. Right. The doctor's just buying time and just the the usual. The good guy gets the evil guy to just keep talking. He's just stalling for time until something happens. And then all of a sudden, the virus that he's created changes all the clocks to zero. And that attracts the attention of the Atraxi, who then are able to pinpoint exactly, first of all, they see the virus and all the clocks changing to zero, know it's not normal. They zoom in on where the virus came from, which is the phone that the doctor is holding. So that's why they're able to zoom in on prisoner zero and are able to capture them. And what's really good is, as Prisoner Zero is being taken away, again, we hear about the silence. And I thought what's really funny is that the Atraxi have now got Prisoner Zero. They're leaving Earth and the Doctor summons them back to Earth. Yeah, and Rory, like we'll come to find from Rory, he's, you know, whining about, what's he doing? The aliens left. Why is he bringing them back? Oh, my gosh, he's alien. And he's now heading toward the Doctor's heading towards the roof. But he takes a side turn into a changing room and he starts stealing clothes. And that leads us into our last clip. No, it's not our no, last clip. No, it doesn't. Clip. Sorry. That leads us into <laughs> our next clip. And that leads us into our last blooper. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a good idea, was it? They were leaving. Leaving is good. Never coming back is better. Come on, then! The Doctor will see you now! You are not of this world. No, but I've put a lot of work into it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Is this world important? Important? What's that mean, important? Six billion people live here. Is that important? Here's a better question. Is this world a threat to the Atraxi? Well, come on, you're monitoring the whole planet. Is this world a threat? No. Are the peoples of this world guilty of any crime by the laws of the Atraxi? Okay. One more, just one. Is this world protected? But you're not the first one to have come here. Oh, there have been so many. And what you've got to ask is... What happened to them? I'm the Doctor. Basically... Run. 
Okay, so that has to be just about my favorite part of this episode for several reasons. First of all, the music is just absolutely fantastic. And this is actually a reprise of some of the music that you hear earlier in the episode when Amy and the doctor are running from Prisoner Zero uh, in the house, in Amy's house. But the best part of this is the fact that the doctor is saying the things that he's saying, especially... I am the doctor. You need to run. And they do. They take a hard look at him and say, ooh, this guy means business. I love this clip. I love this part of the episode. And I love it when he they always quotes that shadow proclamation yeah. article. And I never get what that is. <clears throat> but I always love it when he quotes it. He pretty much uses it for everything, doesn't he? You see the shadow proclamation in the 10th Doctor and you actually see him go to where the shadow proclamations created and everything. And basically it's just a set of rules that all the all the intergalactic planets are supposed to adhere to. And at this point, obviously, Earth doesn't know anything about aliens or anything like that. or It's not supposed to. And that's when he gets really annoyed when people don't follow the rules. OK, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I'm just a geek on Doctor Who as I am on Star Trek. Quite scary, really. And Dave is eating chicken wings again. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think what's brilliant in this clip is the fact that, well, two things, really, that first of all, the Doctor, he's confident, you know, he's post-regeneration now and he's not going to take any nonsense and he just tells him to run. He's not debating it. He's just telling him to go. And I think the second thing that's great is that bow ties are cool. <laughs> Yeah, you've got a bow tie. Yeah, bow ties are cool. That's very funny, too. And uh, from here, at the end of this clip, actually, as it ends, the TARDIS is basically calling the Doctor back because he, he goes into his pocket and he has the TARDIS key. And it's telling him that even the TARDIS is now ready for him to return. So he actually runs back to the TARDIS. And just as he's entering the TARDIS, Amy's behind him. But he, again, he leaves her. Again, just yep. like a man. <laughs> leaving a woman behind we're starting to sense the theme Cena. <laughs> now here's my question okay so the next scene you see the doctor return and it's actually two years later of course amy is not amused at all okay is this a running theme throughout the modern doctor no, it's not it, it's something to do with this storyline that happens because normally it's quite rare if the doctor says five minutes sometimes he's slightly out but not this bad um, how about Rose and at the beginning of number nine, where he said, I'll have you back in 12 hours. Yeah, and, and it, it was, was a like year. A year. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that does happen. And, and, and that's the only other time it's it sort of happened that badly. So this is quite bad. 12 years, then two years. And, and again, the doctor, the doctor only thinks it's five minutes, which is quite scary. But again, it sort of links to the end of, of this episode of this season, I should say, undercurrents in the story. Okay. But again, what's great about this scene is um, when he does return, Amy is really annoyed with him. But we actually get to see the TARDIS because he asks her to join him and she enters the TARDIS. And this, from the viewer's point of view, this is our first look at the new console room. I'm not all that into what the inside of the TARDIS looks like. That main bridge, I guess you would say, 
I thought it has always been a bit wacky looking to me, a little clustered. I've always been curious about what the rest of the TARDIS looks like. You mean the library and the pool? Yeah, the library with the swimming pool. And, you know, we find out that the TARDIS stores a record of her previous layouts and things like that. So she's obviously, you know, a very large ship on the inside. So I've been curious about how the, the rest of it looks. But I've always thought his the main inside of the TARDIS has always been kind of a clustered steampunk looking mess. I've always, I've liked the older ones, and then the new one that we've seen on the Christmas special, where it's a sleeker design, and there's, you know, not, it's not so busy. Yeah, I, I prefer that, and and I, I liked the TARDIS when it came back in 2005, which was destroyed at the beginning of this episode. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, this one, I, it's a bit clunkier than what it normally is, but it's a great scene, the, the wonder, the way it's played, the wonder on Amy's eyes as she goes into this, this blue box and realizes that it's bigger on the inside. Yeah, you're not really, you know, just some weird homeless person who keeps coming into my house who lives in a box. There's actually more to your story. You know, there's something to what you've been telling me. And that quite nicely leads us into our final clip. So you okay then? Because this place, sometimes it can make people feel a bit, you know. I'm fine. Fine. It's just, there's a whole world in here, just like you said. It's all true. I thought, well, I, I started to think that maybe you were just like a madman with a box. Amy Pond, there's something you better understand about me because it's important. And one day, your life may depend on it. I am definitely a madman with a box. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, Nedworth. Hello, everything. <laughs> So, and Amy, you know, she gets done telling him, oh, you know, I think you're a madman in a box. And the classic Doctor Who, you know, that he is a madman in a box and it's going to save your life. So she agrees and she's, you know, just excited to go off into space and have these adventures with him. And she mentions, you know, can you have me back by morning? And he's like, oh, sure. You know, how come I need to be back by the morning? And she's like, oh, I don't know. Just because. Yeah, just just things. No reason. And so they take off. And it slowly pans up to her bedroom, and you see these little, just little toys she's made, little figures she's made. All the drawings uh, that they, that the other people in her life kept referencing, the pictures that she drew of the doctor and the TARDIS. Yeah, the raggedy doctor, and and his statues are the little figures she's made of him. You know, the one sh- one side of his shirt's untucked, and she's in the the winter coat and red red galoshes and bright red hair and. Then it goes on, and after you see the last little bit of those toys she's made, you see the bottom of a dress, and it pans up, and it's a wedding dress that's sitting there. Dun, dun, dun! Yeah, she's taking off the night before her wedding, which apparently becomes a recurring theme with the Doctor. And that's where we end. Yay! The Doctor finally gets a redhead. Yeah. (laughs) Still not ginger, as the Doctor likes to say. Okay, I no? that one. No, <laughs> no. When when he regenerated um, the tenth for the tenth Doctor to oh, David Tennant, right. he says, "Oh, he goes his hair. I'm not ginger." And then the t- the Matt Smith does it as well when he's in the, in the Tardis. He go yeah. when he regenerates. He goes, "Oh, still not ginger." <laughs> <laughs> so and that's the thing that he's shooting for, I take it, huh? Oh, what for ginger? Yeah. Yeah. That was the eleventh hour. So what do we think? Final thoughts and scores. Holy crap, Paul Drinkwater is a time lord. 
Oh, no, I'm sorry. You were asking about the story. I like the beginning. I mean, this is a good this is a good episode. It was, the I think, the first half of the show I really liked because you're figuring out, you know, who the new companion is and who the Doctor is. And it's a great introduction to both of them. But I think the overall, the story, you know, the Atroxy and Prisoner Zero, I actually kind of lost interest towards the last, last half of the episode. I think I, I would say seven out of ten. I mean, it's a good episode, but it, by no means it's going to be. It's not one of the best of the season. I'll tell you that. So, what do you think, Michael? Well, I actually really enjoyed the episode. It's quite difficult normally when you have to introduce a new Doctor because you you've got to get him across to the viewer about their character and everything. And not only did we get a new doctor, we actually got a new companion as well. So there was double the story needed of introducing a new doctor, introducing a new companion. And I thought the way they did it was quite clever. And again, we had that transition from doctor number 10 to doctor number 11 in quite a few ways. We had a new TARDIS, a new sonic screwdriver at the end, and and each step was changed. So that was really good. And it's quite a steady episode as well in terms of story and have a few plot threads for upcoming stories, which was really good. I love this episode. There's just something about the 11th hour I can watch time and time again. And for that reason, I'm going to actually give it a 10. Wow. So I'm looking at this. Hold on, hold on, hold on right now. When you're saying there's something in this episode that you can watch over and over again. It's not Amy Pond. Oh, come on, man. No, it's not Amy Pond. I just think it's a brilliant... I remember when I was growing up, when the Doctor regenerated, there were some really silly stories post-regeneration, and they just weren't handled properly. And I used to hate it when the Doctor regenerated, because I knew the the next four episodes, because as I mentioned earlier, they were smaller in time-wise, there'd be really some silly stories. And this was just the best post-regeneration episode I've seen. It's much better than the episode that david tennant had went after his regeneration from christopher eccleston and it was just brilliant i just i just thought it was quite a fun episode especially at the beginning the tardis crashing nearly into big ben and meeting amelia i thought those scenes were really well played and as we said earlier it's a, a big r moment wasn't it with amelia sitting on on the suitcase and i just think all the way through it it's really good and it, it does set up is it the best episode of matt smith's most probably not. There's a few others. A good man goes to war. And obviously anything with Clara, sorry, is going to be brilliant. I can tell already. But I could, I as I say. Bias there. But no, I think it's going to be, you know, it's just a brilliant episode. And it's not because of Amy Pond. Though here at this particular moment, watching the 11th hour the first time, I saw potential in Amy Pond. But for me personally, it just went the wrong direction. Mm, okay. We can still be friends. That's all right. All I have to do now, Dave, is get rid of River Song and I'll be over the moon. Holy crap. You don't like River Song? I liked River Song until everything that made her a mystery was taken away. And it just became a soap opera with the ponds, with River Song. I'm not giving spoilers away. And it just became a soap opera for me. And that's not what I like Doctor Who. I like Doctor Who to have continuity continuity sorry i like doctor who to have that i like the stories to go from one to another but it just got too far with that ongoing story of the ponds river the doctor you know what i'm hearing i'm hearing because i have no idea what you're talking about yeah i'm sorry Tina, that you're getting pretty lost on this so just to sum it up you know it's a brilliant episode i 
quite liked it. Okay, so my point of view is going to be from somebody who's seen five total, including the 11th hour episodes of Doctor Who ever, and I actually quite liked it. I would probably not go as low as seven, but not as high as a 10. I think I'm going to give it an eight and a half. I really liked the music. I really liked some parts in it, especially when the doctor has to convince Amy to trust him for 20 minutes. I like the doctor when he's, you know, he's putting on these new clothes, which is symbolic of him just getting all his stuff together. And, you know, he's now the doctor. He's not going to be goofy. Just everything kind of going together. I don't think the story, probably because I don't know what's going to happen later on in the series, that the Prisoner Zero has talked about the plot threads that are going to go throughout the rest of the season. So I'm not aware of that. I kind of missed that the first time around. So I'm going to give it an eight and a half. That's a good score still. And I'm still in my dressing room. All by yourself. All by myself. Oh, sorry. Okay, Michael, you want to end this podcast really quickly? Well, yeah, definitely. So this was Matey Trek, and bye. bye. All hands on deck. Red alert. Bloopers approaching after the end music. listening to this show you must like star trek and if you like star trek then we bet you still live in your mother's basement and if you live in your mommy's basement then you are what clinicians call a loser recent studies from the california institute of technology also known as caltech go beavers show that trekkies are five times more likely to find meaningful relationships baffling and repulsive Lead scientist Dr. Sheldon Cooper began a three-year study on the emotional and psychological effects of cheap sci-fi, such as what you'd find in Star Trek, and discovered that most sci-fi lovers are, in his words, bat-crap crazy. So be careful, or you too might wind up alone in the corner of your basement with nothing but a box of Kleenex to give you the emotional support you desperately need. Is yeah. the star not ready for his close-up? <laughs> yeah, I'm still in my dressing room. Yeah. Uh, that's because, remember, I've locked you in. <laughs> that's right. That's and I right. haven't even let Michael have the key. <laughs> uh, at least you haven't got much preparation to get ready. You just take your robe off and you're ready. <laughs> <laughs>
trying to make fun of both of you, and you're not doing. Yeah, we're working. We're not biting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, not till later, darling. <laughs> oh, speaking of buttering up people, when's your birthday, Dave? You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> are you like the queen and have two? Did you just call me a queen? <laughs> I said, are you like the queen? Because in America, those are fighting words. <laughs> yeah. But isn't ma- Sulu your favorite TOS character? <laughs> oh, my. I'm at your mercy, but I trust you guys. Ooh, I'm glad I'm recording that. <laughs> you guys, that's Mike. <laughs> I would have said you weird ladies, then yeah, we did you into that. I'm sure I sent these to both. You probably did. Dave probably just uh, deleted it. Like I'm he sure really I'm... does your emails. Well no, yeah. in fact I've seen his name attached to it. <laughs> oh Lord, it's probably just a shopping list. <laughs> For the cooking show. <laughs> That's right. So do you want to lead us in on that one? I can't see who you're looking at. (laughs) (laughs) Me? Yeah, you. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) We should do that again, and this time all three of us say bye. I did, but I had it muted. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's try. Damn chicken wings. (laughs) I'm hungry too. But this so, is small and tasty. <laughs> <laughs> so this was Matey Trek. Bye. Bye. For Pete's sake. <laughs> Not a metric one second, Mike. <laughs> An American one second. And Cena, where were you? I said it. You did? Okay, I didn't hear you. Sorry. Okay, we try again then. Both of you so, are loudmouths. <laughs> I don't really have a posh English accent. Do you got any other kind of English no, accent? No. You do? do you mean like the regular one he's speaking? Yeah, That's just right. like just like the London accent I have. Yeah, you just got the one setting, huh? Yeah, that's it. Stun. <laughs> <laughs> that person you had heard talking in the background was my next door neighbor. Or so I had to run to the bedroom. Because you didn't want to be commando in front of her. (laughs) Yeah. The HOA has to rule against that. I'm no longer allowed to greet the neighbors in the nude anymore. (laughs) You're listening to the Trekmate Family Network.